All right, we're starting the next chapter of the story of the Morris by Stanley Lane Poole, a young pretender. For 600 years, the greater part of the Mohammedan Empire was nominally under the authority of a centralized, a central ruler called a caliph, a title which signifies a successor or substitute. At first, this authority was real and powerful. The caliph appointed the governors of all the provinces from Spain to the borders of Hindu of the Hindu Kush and removed any of them at his pleasure. But the empire was too large to hold together round a civil pivot for any length of time and gradually various local governors made themselves virtually independent, although they generally professed the utmost aversion, devotion to the caliph and paid him every honor except obedience. By degrees, even this show of respect was thrown off, and dynasties, and dynasties arose which espoused her heretical tenets, repudiated the spiritual supremacy of the caliph, and denounced him and all his lines as usurpers. Finally, the time came when the caliphs were as weak in temporal authority as the Pope of Rome, and were even kept prisoners in their palace by the mercenary bodyguard. They had hired to protect them against their rebellious nobles. This took place about 300 years after the foundation of the Caliphate, and for the second half of their existence, the Caliphs were little more than ciphers to be played by the great princes of the empire and to contribute a, lot, a little pomp to their coronation. Finally, the Caliphate was abolished in Asia by the Mongol invasion in the 13th century. And due to title, it's still claimed by the Sultan of Turkey, there is no Caliph in the old comprehensive sense of the word. The earliest province to shake off the authority of Caliph was Andalusia. To understand how this happened, we must remember that the Caliphs did not succeed one. Another unbroken line of family inheritance after the first floor orthodox caliphs Abu Bakr, Omar, Othman, and Ali were elected more or less by the popular vote. The Syrian party set up Moiya as caliphs at Damascus and from him sprang the family of the Omeyyad caliphs. The so so called from their ancestor Omeyyad, there were 14 Omeyyad caliphs who reigned from 661 to 750. When they were disposed by Ishafa, the butcher, who was the first of the second dynasty of caliphs called the Abbasid after their ancestors Abbas, an uncle of Prophet Muhammad. The Abbasid caliphs transferred the seat of the government from Damascus to Baghdad and held the caliphate. Under, and held the caliphate until its destruction by the Mongols in 1258. Among the members of the disposed family of the Umayyad was Abir Rahman, a name which means servant of the merciful God. Most of his relations were estimated by the ruthless Abbasid. They were hunted down in all parts of the world and slain without mercy. Abdul Rahman fed with the rest but with better fortune, for he reached the banks of the Euphrates in safety. One day, as he sat in his tent watching his little boy playing outside, the children ran to him in a fright. 
and going out to discover the claws, Abdul Rahman saw the village in confusion and the black standards of the Abbasids on the horizon. Hastily seizing up his children, the young prince rushed out of the village and reached the river. Here the enemy almost came up on them and called out that they were need have no fear, for no injury will be done to them. A young brother who accompanied him and who was exhausted with swimming turned back and his head was immediately severed from his body. But Abdul Rahman held on until he reached the other side, bearing his child and followed by his servant. Bedir. Once, once more on firm earth, they journeyed night and day till they came to Africa, where the rest of his family joined them. And the sole, and the sole survivor of the Amiyar princes had leisure to think of his future. He was but twenty years of age, and full of hope, ambition. His mental powers were considerable, and to, the, and to these he added the advantage of a noble stature and great physical energy. The courage, the Arab historians, however, add the unfavorable details that he was blind of one eye and devoid of the sense of smell. In his childhood, wise man had predicted great things of his future. And in spite of the ruins of his family, he was not yet daunted. His first thoughts turned to Africa, for he clearly perceived the success of the Abbasid had left him no chance in the east. But after five years of wandering about the Barbary coast, he realized that the Arab governor was not easily to be overturned, and that he already revolted Berbers in the west would not willingly surrender their newly won independence for the empty glory of being ruled by an Amiyad. His glance for therefore was now directed toward Andalusia where the various factions and their perpetual strife offered an opening to any clever pretender and much more to one who could bring such hereditary claims as Abdul Rahman. He therefore sent his servants, Bredir, to the chiefs of the Syrian party in Spain, among, among whom many were freedmen of the Amiyads, and they were and were thus bound by the Arab Code of Honor to secure emulations of their former patrons. Bredir, after some negotiation with hostile factions, the support of the men of the of the Yemen was also promised. Upon this, Badar returned to Africa. Abdul Rahman was saying his prayers on the seashore when he saw the vessel approach, which brought him the good news and prone as all Easterners are drawn omens from the significant circumstances. The name of the first envoy for El, from El Andalusia was presented to him. Taman, which means father of conquest attainment, suggested a happy fate. We shall attain our object, cried the prince, and conquer the land without delay. He stepped on board and they sailed for Spain in September 755. 
the coming of the survivor of the Amiyas to Andalusia was like a page of romance, like the arrival of the prince. Like the arrival of the prince. To conquer the land. Let's start from the beginning. Galab Taman, which means father of conquest. Suggested a happy fate. We shall attain one object, cried the prince, and, the con and conquer the land. Without delay, he stepped on board and they sailed for the sail for Spain in September 755. The coming of the survivor of the Omeyyad to Andalusia was like a page of romance, like the arrival of the young pretender and scholar in 1745. The news spread like a, like a conflagration through the land. The old adherents of the royal family hurried to pay him homage, and the descendants of the Omeyyad and freemen put themselves under his orders. Even the Yemen clans, though they could not be expected to feel any peculiar sentiment for the young prince, were sufficiently infected by the zeal of his adherents to keep their promise and band together for his support. The governor of Andalusia found himself deserted by most of his troops and forced to wait for a new army. Meanwhile, the winter rains made a campaign impossible and left Abdul Rahman leisure to recruit and organize his forces. In the spring of the following year of the struggle began in the earnest. Abdul Rahman was received with enthusiasm at the Archadana in Seville and thence prepared to march on Cordova. Yusuf, the governor, advanced to resist him, but the Guadavir was swollen with rains, and two armies on the opposite banks raced with each other who would first arrive at Cordova at length. Abdul Rahman, by means of a deceitful Stratagem unworthy of a prince of romance induced Yusuf to let him cross the now failing river under pretext of peace, and once on the other side he fell upon the unsuspecting enemy. Victory declared itself for the prince, and he entered Cordova in triumph. He had the grace to exert himself to arrest the plundering passions of his troops and to place the harem or women folks of the ex governor in safety. Before the year was out, he was master of the Mohammedan part of Spain. And the dynasty of the Omeyyad of Cordova, destined to endure nearly three centuries, to endure nearly three centuries, was established. The king of Cordova. One second, please. The king of Cordova, however, was firmly seated without any without many a struggle. Abdul Rahman had indeed been placed on the throne, but the feat had been accomplished by a small faction of faction out the numerous parties that divided the land. The new Sultan was, however, better able than most princes to hold his own amidst the striving elements of his kingdom. Prompt and decisive in action, troubled by few scruples. By turn terribly severe and perfidiously diplomatic. <laughs> He's very diplomatic, basically. His policies was always equal to an emergency. 
and there was not a few occasions on which it put it was put to the test. He had not been going in Andalusia when Aben Mugafif sailed from Africa to set up the black standards of the Abbasids in Spain. He landed in the province of Bija and soon found supporters among the disaffected, always ready to join in some new things. Adirahman was besieged for two months in Car Carmona. The situation was perilous and in a strain, for every day gave the enemy more opportunity increasing in their fate. Increasing their forces, Abdurrahman even fuller resource hearing that the enemy has somewhat relaxed their precautions, gathered together 700 of his bravest followers, kindled a great, follower, follow, a great fire, and saying that it was now a question of death or victory, flung his scrubber into the flames, scabbard into the flames. The 700 followed his example and token of their resolution never in the sheath of their swords again till they were free and sallying out of their leader fell upon the besieged tooth and nail the abbasid invasion was was utterly annihilated abdul rahman with the ferocity that occasionally disfigured him put the put their leaders heads in a bag with descriptive labels attached to their ears and confided the precious parcel to a pilgrim bound for Mecca, by whom it was put into the hands of the Abbasid Caliph Mansur himself. When Caliph had seen the contents of the bed, he was very rough, but he could not. He could not help. He cannot help exclaiming that that God there was a sea between the man and me. While coarsely detesting the successful Sultan of Cordova, his opposite foe was forced to render homage to his skill and courage. He called Abdul Rahman the Hawk of the Quran, the Falcon of the of the prophet's own tribe wonderful he will exclaim in the daring wisdom and prudence he has shown to enter the path of destruction throw himself into a distant land hard to approach well defended there to profit by the jealousies of the rival parties to make them turn their arms against one another instead of against himself to win the homage obedience of his subjects and having overcome every difficulty to rule supreme to rule supreme lord of all i of a truth no man before him has done this the defeat of the abbasid invasion was followed by other successes and part of the new sultan he induced the people of the of toledo who had held long who had held out against him to consent to a peace delivery of their chiefs and the leaders were grossly humiliated and then crucified. The chief of the Yemenite 
faction proven dangerous, Adir Robin gave him a safe conduct and thus enticed him into the palace. But he tried to stab him with his own hand. But finding the Arab too vigorous, called in the guard and had him assassinated. Almost immediately, the great revolt of the Berbers of the northern borders occurred. Ten years were occupied in the reducing them to obedience, and meanwhile the Yemenites, burning with the vengeance for the murder of their chief, took advantage of the soldiers' obedience absence in the north to rise. They had not yet realized the energy of the astuteness of the man. He had already he had already set the revolted Berbers he had already set the reverted Berbers by the ears by playing playing upon their pity jealousies and now he exerted his dip diplomacy to breed discord among the Yemenites <laughs> he tampered with the Berbers second he tampered with the Berbers who formed a large part of their army so that they deserted the land of the fray and Abdul Rahman's soldiers fell upon the flying multitude until 30,000 bodies lay on the field. Lay on the field. Their huge grave long remained a sight to be seen by the curious. Then followed that formidable coalition between three disaffected Arab chiefs and Charlemagne, which was so which was so near destroying the fabric that Abdul Rahman had painfully built up, collapsed before Zagaragoza and rinsed valleys without a single blow from the very person they had assembled to destroy. Henceforth, the Sultan was allowed to enjoy in comparative peace the fruits of his victories. He had subdued all the hostile elements in Spain to his iron will. He had cast, me, he had cast down the proud Arab chief who had dared to measure swords with him. He had massacred or assassinated the leaders of the rebellion and had proven himself master of the position. But tyranny and cruel tyranny, cruel and prodigious as his brings his own punishment. The tyrant may force the submission, but he cannot compare the devotion of his people. And the empire that is won by the sword must be sustained by the same weapon. Honest man refused to enter into the service of a lord who could betray and slay as he did this sultan. His old supporters, those who have first welcomed him to Spain, now turned coldly away when they saw the tyrant and his naked cruelty. His own relations, who had flocked over to his court, as an asylum, they plotted again and again to dispose him with an inevitable result of losing their heads. Adir Rahman was left in mournful solitude. His old friends had deserted him. His enemies, though helpless, cursed him nonetheless. His very kinsmen and servants turned against him. It was probably that the long war with factions had spoiled a 
fine nature, partly that the character was restless. No longer could he mingle as before in the crowd that prolonged the streets of the Cordova suspicion of everyone. Our Cordova suspicious of everyone wrapped in gloomy thoughts and distracted by the bloody memories he rode. Though the streets surrounded by a though the streets surrounded by a strong I'm oh, sorry about that. Though the streets surrounded by a strong guard of foreigners, forty thousand Africans whose devotion to the to the paymaster was equal by their hatred of the whole population whom they repress formed the sultan's protection against the people whom he ground under his heel in his dissolution he wrote a poem on a palm which he transplanted from the land of his ancestors for like most andalusian arabs he was something of a poet in which he compassionated the tree for its exiles like me thou art separated from relations and friends Thou didst grow in a different soil, and now thou art far from the land of thy birth. He had accomplished the object which he had set before himself in the days of his young ambition, when he came a, when he came a stranger and alone to subdue a kingdom. He had brought the Arabs and Berbers into subjection, and restored order and peace in the land, but he had done it all at the expense of his subject's heart. The handsome youth who had come like the young chevalier to win the homage and devotion of the Spanish Arabs after 32 years went down to his grave a detested tyrant, upheld in his blood-stained throne only by the swords of mercenaries. Whose loyalty was purchased by gold. He had inaugurated the sway of the sword in Spain. His successors, his successors have maintained the principle. As the great historian of the Moors has observed, it, was, it is not easy to see it is not easy to see What others meant, the turbulent factions of Arabs and Berbers were to be kept in order. And now Herarchy was to be averted without severe measures of repression. Neither of these races was accustomed to monarchy. Nevertheless, a tyranny so sustained formed a melancholy spectacle, despite all the glorious triumphs, glories and triumphs that it illuminated an ancient arab historian ibn hayyan gave the following portrait of the first sultan of cordova abdir rahman was kind-hearted and well disposed to mercy he was eloquent in his speech and endowed with a quick perception he was very determined but constant and persevering
and persevering and carrying them into effect. He was active and stirring. He would never lie in repose or abandon himself to indulgence. He never entrusted the affairs of the governor, governor to anyone, but administered to anyone but administer them himself. He never failed to consult in, in cases of difficulty of man and of wisdom. He was a brave and intrepid warrior, always the first in the battlefield, terrible in his anger and intolerant of his opposition. His constance inspired all in those who approached him, friends and foe alike. He was once a followers buyers and pray over, pray over the dead. And in the mosque on Fridays, he will often enter the pulpit and address the people. He visited the sick and mixed with the people in their rejoicing. This is the Dallas young Abdel Rahman before the opposition and conspiracy had made him suspicious and cruel. Power has often a terrible manner of punishing its possessor. The equal question that is asked when a despot dies is who, who will succeed him? And the common answer is revolutionary or anarchy. The throne that is set upon steel edges does not steadily pass from father to son. Yet the dynasty of Abdul Rahman never did, did not collapse with the death of its despotic founder. It was suspected that many hostile forces which he had with difficulty to strain when released by his death would have sprung into redoubled activity. Such, however, was not the case. Partly because he had too thoroughly terrified the people for them to easily recover their courage. And partly because in his successor, they recognized the very antithesis of his father, a prince to be loved and honored. The people remained quiet for some years. Hashem, who in 788 succeeded his father at the age of 30, was a model of all the virtues and is to, and is to make sure that he would that he should practice them with assiduity during his brief reign and astrologer predicted that he had but eight years to live. The Sultan naturally devoted his short space to preparing for the next world. In his youth, his palace had been filled with men of science, poets, sages, and the boy was father of the man. His acts of piety were numberless, and in him the indignant and persecuted had a sure refuge. He would send trusty, trusty emissaries into all parts of his dominions to seek out wrongdoing and repress it. And to further the cause of righteous, he had the streets patrolled at night to present right riots and vicious conduct. And the fines they levied on the evildoers were distributed among those good souls who whom rain and cold could not deter from attending the mosque at nighttime. The Sultan himself visited the sick and would often go forth on stormy nights to carry food to poisonous and valid, to pious and invalid, and to watch beside his bedside. With all this, he was no paltrum. He would lead his armies against the Christians of the north. Like the thoroughbred Arab, 
he was and through and though the people affectionately dubbed him the amiable and the just he could show sufficient firmness when his reign was menaced by the conspiracy of his uncles he increased his numbers of mamelukes and bodyguard and a thousand of them were always on duty day and night on both sides of the river to protect his palace he was a huntsman yet so scrupulous was he said was that he when he rebuilt the bridge of Cordova, which still stands to this day hearing that his subjects murmured that he only built this great work to make his hunting parties more convenient he vowed he would never cross it again and he never did before the eight years had before the eight years had quite expired this exemplary prince had gathered into his well-earned paradise and then it had become apparent that this very goodness had been served up to serve a new factor of rebellion in the state this new danger was the power of the mohammedans was the power of the Mohammedans. Priest. The term is hardly an accurate one. For in Islam, there is no priesthood in the strict sense of Catholic Christianity. The men who recite the prayers and preach the weekly sermons in the mosques are laymen taken from their shops or other occupations and appointed for the time to the, the congregation. There is no distinction between the leg and the cleric in Islam nevertheless there is something more which tallies more or less with what we mean by a priesthood there is always in Mohammedan countries a body of men who lies are specially devoted to religion they may be devish with particular rights or they may be merely theological students pupils of some renowned teacher who doctrine filled them with unwanted zeal and enthusiasm they may be reciters of the Quran or schoolmasters such a body is found throughout the Muslim world and it has to be reckoned with in every Mohammedan country the students of the Azir Mosque in Cairo the Sophos in Constantinople the Mullahs and many of the eastern cities have shown what a force of fanaticism can avail in the times of excitement. In Andalusia, this power was now about to be displayed. The first rebellion after Abdul Rahman's death came from the least expected quarter, not from the Christmas Christians, nor from any special political parties of Arabs or Berbers, but from the devout sons of Islam, the theological students of Cordova. These students were largely comp composed of renegades or the sons of renegades. It has already been seen that the Spaniards carefully adopted Islam. And like most, converts become more Muslim than the Muslim themselves. Abdul Rahman 
was too wise, was far too wise and also far too worldly to permit the, the theologians, especially those of Spanish blood, any preponderating influence in his kingdom. But the pious Hisham neither saw the danger nor had he perceived it would have disregarded as a danger at all. He loved to place his confidence in holy man, whose conduct was dictated by the strict observance of their religion, and in whom he failed to detect the germs of common worldly ambition and love of power. It happened, too, that at this time the theologians were headed by a singularly gifted active mind, a favorite pupil of one of the lights in the holy city of Medina. When the Arabian prophet was buried, a man whose soul was devoured by the mixture of the fever and political ambitions, which was so often made havoc, the nation. This doctor, Yahweh, profited by the devotion and piety of Hishan to raise the theologians of Cordova to a height of influence and power might have made his true father, Abdirahman, turn in his grave.